starting a freelance business can be super overwhelming. So if you are feeling stuck, discouraged, overwhelmed in your freelance business right now, whether it is just trying to make more money or land higher paying clients, or you just feel like you're in a rut in general, this free live training is for you. I'm going to share ways that you can reinvigorate your enthusiasm for the writing profession, hopefully prevent you from getting discouraged and giving up, and help you see the light at the end of the freelance tunnel. There you go. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. When we talk about the transition from freelance to full-time and back again and like burnout that can come with that, you actually are the resident expert on that. At least for me, like whenever I'm freelancing, an in-house role seems like it would solve all my problems. When I was in-house, a freelance role seemed like it would solve all my problems. So I'm really curious to see where you've landed on this, having experienced both. So yes. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Burnout is one of those buzzwords where I think everyone kind of talks about it, but everyone has their own definition or experience of it. And I'm not a mental health expert. I'm just somebody who has actually experienced it both in my past career as a salesperson, but then really surprisingly, even as a writer, which was the catalyst for what you were talking about, Sarah, of me going in-house after being a full-time freelancer. So guys, I am a full-time freelance copywriter for software brands. I've worked for clients like DocuSign, SalesLoft, Thinkific, HP. I also mentor other freelance writers on one of their biggest struggles, which is landing high-paying clients. Because I was a salesperson who used LinkedIn to cold pitch for business, I now teach freelance writers how they can do that on LinkedIn. Here's the thing. Freelance writing was my escape from a very toxic nine-to-five sales career. So being burnt out as a writer was one of the last things that I expected. <laughs> so I think we heard so many amazing mindset tips in Karina's presentation. She really covered that. So today I'm just going to talk about real quick my story, how I wound up leaving freelancing due to burnout and how I bounced back from that experience and hopefully how you can avoid that. So in October of 2021, I accepted an offer and went in-house as a content lead at kind of my dream software company in my category, which is sales engagement technology. And long story short, I quit after six months. <laughs> so there was a series of issues on the company's end. Like, for example, my boss quit a week after hiring me and I was like floating out in the ether. So there's obviously the stuff like that. I can't control, but the biggest eye-opener for me was just seeing how I responded to full-time work again. My biggest takeaway is that even though I'm in a career field I love, which is writing, which I'm super passionate about, doing it full-time for anyone under any circumstance is not a fit for my personality. So there's no more blaming my old sales career of, oh, of course I didn't thrive there. It was so high pressure and so stressful and I just needed to break away. It's no, I really believe now and see for myself that freelancing, despite all of its nerve wracking aspects and all of the stress is so worth it. It is the best form of work. It is the best style of work for me and my personality. So I want to just tell you why I left freelancing and literally got rid of all my freelance clients and decided to go in-house. And if I could really boil it down to one thing, because I've spent so much time and therapy sessions <laughs> talking about what this, why this happened and why I went in-house and how I had to leave all that stuff. I really couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think this is really common for full-time freelance writers is like, there really is no map for this career field. 
we're really on our own. It's the wild west, right? We can invest in mentorship and courses, but even that it's just not the same as with a nine to five, where you can see this clearly laid out path of promotion and raises and career progression. It just feels really unstable and uncertain. So I felt really stagnant in my income. That was number one. I really didn't understand how I could make more money without burning myself out with more work. That was my issue. And instead of thinking critically about my freelance business and creative ways I could structure it, I fell back into my nine to five mindset of thinking that climbing the corporate ladder was how I was going to get ahead as a writer instead of just devoting that energy into my freelance business. The other thing is that, like I was saying before, freelancing is like this independent field where there's no rules. You're making everything up as you go, pretty much. I was terrified to take risks. And this is where this imposter syndrome comes in because I had my set of recurring retainer clients. And I said to myself, I'm lucky that these people are even giving me work to begin with. How am I going to gather up the balls to actually change my trajectory and maybe drop these clients or maybe raise my rates or maybe ask for different work? I felt so paralyzed because I felt like I maybe didn't even deserve to have clients to begin with. So if you're in, I guess, that mindset, just know that I think all writers have that sense of not wanting to rock the boat because it took us so much to get where we are right now. Changing it up can be terrifying. So these are the steps that I took to break through and hopefully they'll be helpful. Brooklyn and Karina, I think, touched on a lot of these. So the number one antidote to feeling overworked is raising your rates and taking on less clients. And I know that's easier said than done. It's not, oh, cool. I'll just raise my rates. Like you were saying, Sarah, it's like, you're not going to double your rates in an industry where the client is used to charging you or used to paying $25 for a blog post. You need to up-level your skills to justify a rates increase. That's just the harsh truth about it. I think the other thing that a lot of freelance writers don't really talk about is that raising your rates and actually commanding the top of that scale is a lot of trial and error and rejection because for every client that I get to agree to $750 per blog post, there's probably two clients I spoke to on a call before that told me that was too high and that they don't want to pay that. So there's so many factors that go into it of being in the right niche, being in the right industry and getting that client through the numbers game who's actually willing to pay for that. The other thing was becoming more efficient in how I was working. So I know I'm the sharpest at the beginning of the day, and I protect that time really fiercely for writing. I don't take meetings until the afternoon. I do invoicing and admin tasks literally in front of the TV. I'm halfway tuned out because I know I don't need a lot of brain energy for that. Whereas before I was just doing everything as it came. And Believe it or not, I'm like the probably latest adopter of Calendly on planet Earth, and I'll tell you why. I was so hesitant to use Calendly to book meetings with clients because I felt that it was rude. I felt like it was almost saying to the, the prospect or the prospective customer or client, oh, have your people speak to my people. It's almost like I don't even care enough to email you a time, just book my calendar link. So I was very hesitant to put that vibe out to clients, but ever since I blocked off time in my Calendly scheduler so that I'm only taking meetings two days out of the week within a certain time frame. I'm getting so much more done. So don't be afraid to really protect your time. And when a client says, hey, can we hop on a call real quick? Say, yes, absolutely. Here's my Calendly link and they'll get the picture. 
yes, I'm willing to hop on a meeting with you, but it has to be within these few, within this time frame. <laughs> I know that sounds simple, but I was terrified to send a Calendly link. Just out of curiosity, what are your time blocks and stuff? So you share some examples. Yeah. So I only take meetings Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays between 1 and 4 p.m. Nice. I'm very similar. I've had to expand it, but it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 to 3. And then I'm going to, I'm probably going to play with it again, but that's where I am now. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like everyone can have such a different time block preference because maybe people are sharpest at the end of the day and maybe you have obligations. So it's important to just as a freelancer, be protective of your own time and not let the client really dictate everything when it comes to that. The other thing, if you're feeling uninspired and bored, which is definitely where I was when I left full-time freelancing to go in-house, one of the things I do now is I'm speaking up for myself and not taking on boring assignments. So I used to, I think Brooklyn had said this too. I used to take everything that came my way and I was terrified to say no. So I wound up writing like knowledge bases and like these boring ass one pagers that were like a match for me at all. They were so painful. And I was slogging through it thinking, I just have to take this assignment. And something I started to do was like actually speak up on these calls and say, Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I hate knowledge bases. I'd really rather not do that. And what's interesting is that clients, they appreciate the transparency and they actually want to meet you where you are. And they want to, oh, you like doing that? I will try my hardest to give you what you like doing because I know that if you like it, you'll probably create higher quality work. And then I have some clients who I've told them straight up, hey, I can do that. I really don't want to. It's not my favorite. And they're like, we really need it. So please just do it for us. And I'm like, you know what? fine, I'll do it. It might suck. And as long as you want me to do it, I told you I don't like doing it. Okay. So just be honest and tell your clients what you prefer. Like you're a human being, you're not a robotic order taker that needs to just fit into whatever their project demands are. Like really try to do the work you enjoy. Here's another thing. If you're feeling really uninspired, it might be time to do something that makes you uncomfortable. I think for me, where I went wrong was thinking like, I'm going to go make myself uncomfortable by joining a full-time job at a software company and taking on this whole new challenge. But to stay a freelancer, you can really just decide I'm going to offer a new service. And even if you don't really feel proficient or confident in that service, put yourself out there. So I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. I used the book, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller to actually start offering hourly copywriting consulting services to my clients. I charge $75 to $100 an hour to build something called a core messaging doc. And it literally, like no one taught me how to do this. I researched it myself. I read the book and kind of just made up this service. And I want freelance writers to understand that like, we're all just making it up as we go. And we have the ability to get creative and create offers that our, our clients would really benefit from. Cause I'll give you an example. The reason this came about with the core messaging doc and the consulting and the hourly is because I get on calls with really early stage clients. They were startups or they were just raising their first round of funding, whatever. And they'd be like, we need blog posts. And I'd be like, you don't really need a blog post because you don't even know what your messaging is. You don't know who your ideal customer is. You don't know any of your value propositions, your benefits. You don't know anything, but you want me to write blog posts. And then the call would just end. And they'd be like, you know what? You're right. And then they'd go off and look for some other service. And then I finally said to myself, I'm just going to start offering them this core messaging doc creation service where I interview all the stakeholders 
ask them these questions, consolidate the information into a core messaging doc, do the writing, and now they can use that document for everyone in their organization and everything's really streamlined. So it's really interesting how organically pitching a new service can come about when you're listening to a client's problems. Another thing that you could do if you don't feel confident, because a lot of people are probably like new and they're like, whoa, calm down. That's very complicated. Just start aggressively pitching that dream client that you think you have no chance with. So I know for me, I have my dream client, right? You can come up with so many creative ways to infiltrate that company, to pitch all these different people within the company, to have a long-term pitching strategy. Like even on LinkedIn the other day, I'm not sure if you guys saw, this was a viral post where some girl who was job seeking created a cake to pitch herself for a job at Nike. So before you think you're a stalker, just understand that people are making custom cakes and sending it to companies to try to get in there. The other thing you could do is find another income stream. So we are not stuck doing one thing. Like Sarah, you have your institute that you've started on the side of your freelance business. It sounds like Karina and Brooklyn, they branched off, started agencies, right? It's on us to create our own career trajectories as people who get paid for writing on the internet. So if you were bored at your nine to five, but you wanted to stay with the company, you'd naturally ask for different responsibilities. You would want to try new things. And we can't forget that as freelancers, right? We have to be able to broaden our horizons and say, okay, if I can make money writing online, what other opportunities are out there for me? And I think that's how I got into creating my online course. And I'm really into digital products right now. Last note, just that note on inability to envision the future. If you are a new freelancer, it's easy to think that it's not possible to grow your income. I know I was at a stalemate of wanting to make more money, but thinking I'd have to hustle and drive myself crazy to do it. So I kind of just stayed where I was. And one of the best things that I did is enroll in a course and get the proper coaching. So I'll give you an example. I enrolled in this course called Up Level with Asana. There's a woman on YouTube called Louise Henry who teaches Asana, which is a project management software. That seemingly has nothing to do with freelancing, but getting her advice about how to manage my day has completely revolutionized my outlook on my business. It's reinvigorated me to work towards my goals because now I can see my goals in front of me every day. So find what you're missing and invest in the help you need. I think I have a controversial view on writer's block. I struggle to write things, like I struggle to write content, but I don't ever feel writer's block. And that's because content and copywriting is pretty formulaic. It does have an existing structure or outline to follow. I don't think you should ever be starting any piece of content or copy from scratch. Make your own templates, whether it's for emails, blog posts, core messaging docs, consulting work. There's the ability to create a template for all of that. You can either buy them. I made mine myself. I also just look at past projects I've done. Guarantee you there's a similar project that you've already put so much brain work into. And I think as writers, we discount this ability to repurpose our existing work. Like we've already thought of a lot of original ideas. Go back into Google Drivers or Google Driver Evernote and see what you've done before and capitalize on that. The other thing is when it comes to something like truly getting a new creative idea and generating those ideas, take stock of where you are and what you're doing when your best ideas hit you. Some people say like their best ideas hit them in the shower. I know by now that when I take walks, my brain really gets turning. I know when I listen to podcasts, I get a lot of inspiration. 
And what I do is I capture those ideas in Asana so that I don't lose them. And then Asana gives you the ability to put a date on every idea. So that's where the execution comes in. Instead of pressuring yourself to find ideas and be creative, it's almost put yourself in situations where you know you're most likely to be inspired and have a way to capture those ideas. I love it. So I have a note in the chat. If anybody has any questions for Christine, especially around pitching clients, finding higher paying clients, that whole part of it that can be very confusing, bring those on. And then I'm going to ask some questions about burnout, if that's cool. I'd love to know maybe what did burnout and overwhelm look like for you? Like when you looked up and realized, oh no, I've done it and you were in trouble. What I guess were the symptoms in your life? I think not wanting to get out of bed, feeling, I guess, dreading the day ahead. That's always a big indicator. Also, just listening to your body. I saw this post in a Facebook group and it was like, how do you know when it's time to stop working with a client? And my response was when them popping in your inbox makes your stomach drop. I think it's all like on an emotional level. It's just this feeling of being tired, uninspired, not looking forward to it and not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And was that, how long did that have to happen for you before you listened <laughs> to the signs? I think it was a matter of four to five months. And I'll tell you what happened when I went in-house is that this is the other big problem. I think secretly I was looking for validation from my clients. I was always waiting for a client to say to me, wow, you're so good at writing that we want you to be part of the organization. Mm -hmm. was always secretly waiting for that. So when it happened, I was like, yes, they finally see that like I can become an expert at their product and I can be a really good in-house employee. So I think I was waiting for the opportunity, to be honest, because I always wanted more responsibility than just freelance writing. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, I guess that jumps out at me. I mentioned in the chat, like we're both Enneagram eights and it's like the amount of resistance that we can handle before we call uncle is amazing. And I feel like I also like six months to a year, I'll be unhappy before I actually given and let some kind of change happen. So I think that's interesting. Whereas depending on your personality type or maybe even your style, you might not tolerate burnout as long. And that can be a good thing. Like it, it doesn't make you weak to listen to all these signals that what you're doing isn't working. Nice. And Stephanie says, wow, all these presenters are mind blowing. That's awesome. Yes, that's the goal. And I wonder, so has writer's block ever been a thing for you? I know you mentioned that briefly. So I don't think writer's block is an issue, I think, because this is how I see at least content writing. If you have a good outline and a good grasp of the subject matter, it should flow pretty easily. It's when I have a really disjointed outline or not enough instruction from the client is when it starts to get like struggle sitting there. And I'm like, wait, what? This doesn't make sense. And because it's long content, it's, oh my God, I have to look at all this stuff that I just, it's like a sense of overwhelm and confusion. But for example, I was an English major and then I went into fiction writing. Like, I think those are the opportunities for a writer's block when you really are creating 100% original ideas or stories. Whereas content writing for a software brand, that information exists to the target audience. You know the points you need to mm. hit on. I have my ways for weaving in creativity, but that's more of the easy part for me. So that's why I just don't think writer's block for me is a thing with content writing. I do think it's a formulaic form of writing. Yeah, that's really interesting because that I totally agree and I wouldn't have put it that way. So it's almost, it's more like builder's block or just resistance to in the craft of writing. Like it's not even the writing that is blocked. 
Yeah. Like even with YouTube, like a lot of people say, oh, I'm a content creator and I can't come up with ideas. As a YouTube creator, you should be finding out what your target audience wants and what they're asking. And that's the root or that's the idea. So the information is out there. You just have to learn how to look for it and base your idea on what there is a demand for versus coming up with something like truly unique and this piece of artwork. Yeah. And I wonder, it's almost like it's performance anxiety. It's not writer's block because we do know the details and we have the pieces and then there's just something left to do. So that's really interesting. Stephanie adds a question. What helped you start seeing different avenues of income opportunities? I feel like that's part of the fear I have is not making enough income. Yeah. Sometimes I would look. Okay. So basically when you're brought in on certain projects, specifically like a website build, and you see all the different roles that collaborate on a copywriting project, you start to wonder, oh, maybe I could do that. Or maybe I could be that person that's calling the shot. I guess this is the Enneagram eight. When you see someone else is like calling the shots or coming up with the ideas, you could say to yourself, I could probably do that because I have that experience. Or it's looking for gaps or things that are missing. That was how the core messaging doc and the consulting came along. It was like they kept asking for something, but they needed something before they got the writing. So when you spot a gap, you might as well just throw it out there and be like, if you want that done, I can do it for you. And guess what? You might bomb and it might suck. Let's just be honest. If you've never done something before, you might suck, but you got to learn somehow. I love that so much because <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel like not everybody's going to approach it like that. So it's really cool to hear other people saying that. And part of that is like, I, I think for most of our lives, we assume that what around us is intentional and if it could be fixed or if they wanted it fixed, it would be fixed by now. And that is just so not the case, especially in marketing, especially in content. If you see a problem, someone's probably really bothered by it. They just haven't had the time or resources to deal with it. So if you show up and you're like, hey, that's a problem and I fixed that problem, can I do that for you? That's how you're helping. You're like, you're jumping into the game and playing it with them. So don't assume that everything is how it's supposed to be already. Like you can be the person who comes in and changes things. Yeah. And with the core messaging doc, the reason why it's a little bit low, like less stressful is because I'm interviewing them and they're supposed to tell me about their audience. If I create like a piece of crap document, that's totally disjointed. That's a reflection of everything they told me about their brand. And that's an exercise for them to learn where they're not unified in their messaging. So one of the big things I say too, is like when you get on a client call, instead of thinking you have to pitch yourself and sell yourself to this client, all of your power is in asking thoughtful questions. If you ask a client questions that make them think critically about their business, that's impressive. Not saying I've written for X, Y, and Z, and I'm a good writer. And what I love is this. You don't really even need to talk that much about yourself. Yes. Have your elevator pitch, which is like a 60 second talking point, but start, Oh, what are you doing for this? And when you write an ebook, how do you promote that? You start asking them questions like, Oh, actually I don't do that. And then it becomes this really organic give and take conversation where it's like, Oh, you can do that. Yeah. We do need that versus I need to pitch myself and sell myself and impress you. Yeah. It's like judo. It's mental judo. So Sarah asks, Christine, where do you find your inspiration for the target audience pain points? So, so what sources do you find good for your research? Okay. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this question because I'm creating a YouTube video on this. This is where your niche comes into play because what happens, at least in the software industry, is that these companies invest thousands upon thousands of dollars in 
target persona research, and then you get access to that research. You cannot share it with anyone else because you signed an NDA most likely, and that's proprietary information. But guess what? That information is now in your brain, and you can always write for that target audience based on the persona research that you received from another client. So that's why choosing a niche is like the most underrated way to be a really profitable freelance writer, because when you learn about a target audience once, you'll always be able to write for them and their pain points. The other thing I do that I'm really excited about that's been making writing so easy for me is eavesdropping on LinkedIn. So I will literally like, for example, I'm writing something about marketing automation right now. I will go and see who the thought leaders are. I'll type in marketing automation into the LinkedIn search bar and see not only their post, but the conversations that are going back and forth in the comments section. And all of a sudden I'm taking talking points and what's really being spoken about in industry and reflecting that in a blog post or an ebook. So it feels really authentic. So find out where your target audience is hanging out in like forums. Where do they speak freely? Where do they really talk about their problems and be a fly on the wall and take stock of that? I love it. And there's one more question. And then I see we're over time. So thank you for staying with us. But Linda asks, sometimes I just feel lost and I don't know which way to go. Is that because I'm burned out on a niche or fear? I always ask, what do I fear? And I think through it, but at times I just feel lost, perhaps overwhelm of change. I think, what do you think for me, it's a lot of fear. I think it's fear of, I know I could try something new, but I have no idea about whether it's going to work out. So I'm not going to bother. So I don't know. I think my answer really is to make yourself uncomfortable. One of the ways that I make myself uncomfortable, like intentionally is investing in a course, like up level with Asana costs me over a thousand dollars. And I'm so cheap that I know if I spend that money, I am going to get every last drop out of that investment. That's just how I'm wired. So like under, maybe it's not buying a course. Maybe it's like pitching someone that makes you uncomfortable. Do that one thing that, you know, oh, if I put myself in that situation, I know that'll trigger me into action. And I was going to go somewhere else, but I ended up at the same spot. So that's interesting for me. I start with what's like the basic necessity that was always money the first five years because you're getting a freelance business off. So it's like, how much do I need each month to be allowed to keep doing this? And it was rent. So I would write down the rent number and track how close I am to getting that. And so every other decision about niching or even pricing or what I was working on, all of that came down to, can I get to that rent number? And then that number just kept growing and growing. So it's find anything in your environment that's urgent and take the small step towards that which might be a challenge, which might be a new skill, which might just be money, but just something that's going to motivate you because the paralysis is what I keep looking up, but it's like all of my problems. Like we just get paralyzed when we're looking at those things. So you've got to focus on something smaller. Yeah. I love what Karina said about just what is the absolute next step to take? Just focus on what your next step is. I think that's so key to beating overwhelm. I love it. So I'm not sure I knew you had a YouTube channel. So I shared that link in there. And that is thrilling. But what other kind of courses or stuff do you have coming up that we could point people to? Yeah. So at paidcopywriter.com, you can download my free LinkedIn guide. If you are new to LinkedIn or you want to learn how to pitch, it's on there. I also have cold pitch templates. Send me a message on LinkedIn or on Instagram. More than happy to chat with anybody and assist you. Cool. Thank you.